Craig Faustus Buck, today's author, has written and produced TV and films for decades, but these days he's focusing on what he loves to write the most, hard-boiled crime stories and novels. Check out his noir romp, Go Down Hard, a wild journey through the worlds of aging rock and rollers, live internet sex shows, abusive psychiatrists, Slavic monsters, child molesters, emotional betrayal, deceit, arson, murder, and estate planning. Available from any online bookseller. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories, and others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All of these are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and eBooks. A Word Before Dying is available from all online book retailers, and pre-order is now available for this season's companion, Move It or Lose It. It releases on March 21st. Share it with your favorite book lover. This is season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express, and a riverboat then took center stage on Death on the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode six, A 1960s-era Volkswagen is the featured vehicle. This is Scorching the Back Seat by Craig Faustus Buck. Okay, a word before we go into today's story. So it is set in 1960. It's a Cold War story. And it has German in it. And I do not speak German. So I have done my best to learn these words. And there's a lot of phonetic spellings in my script today. But, uh... Please just enjoy what is sure to be an appalling accent. (laughs) Chapter 1. Road Rash. His face hit the pavement hard. He tried to recall just what happened, but his thoughts wouldn't sink. His head felt like he'd been whacked by the claw end of a hammer. Blood flowed into his field of vision, expanding on the ground before him. Must be his. Bad sign. He closed his eyes against a stab of afternoon sun reflecting off the crimson pool. The relentless pounding in his head accelerated, like the sound of a train starting up from a dead stop. The insides of his eyelids darkened. Something was blocking the sun. He opened his eyes to see polished black boots standing in his blood, like Stasi. He was too weak to lift his eyes to see who wore them. He waited for his life to flash before him, but all he saw were black boots in red blood. The world was running in slow-mo. If this was death, it was taking its fucking time. Something new moved into a sight line. A small brindle mutt sniffed the boots. The dog seemed familiar. He realized that she was his. He couldn't remember her name. He watched her wade through the ooze and start lapping at his lifeblood like she was in doggy heaven. The next time he opened his eyes, he was on his back with rows of lights rushing past. No, the lights were fixed and he was rushing. It dawned on him, he was alive. He saw Operationstrak painted over the swinging doors as his gurney crashed through them. Women in white caps grabbed his arm and slid a needle into a vein. He tried lifting his head, but he hit a brick wall of agony. Kannst du mich hören? asked one of the nurses. 
He understood what she was asking, if he could hear her, but he didn't answer. He didn't want to move until the pain was under control, not even his lips. He felt his eyes flag. Chapter 2, Recovery He woke up in a hospital room, feeling a weight on his brow. Something shaded his eyes. He inched his arm toward his head, trailing a tube attached to his hand. He felt a semi-hard surface cradling his head. Another bed in the room was mostly hidden by a drape. He could see feet. Yellow toenails cracked and furrowed. His roommate was old. A man walked in, short and skinny, lab coat hanging open to reveal a navy bow tie and blood smear on his white shirt. Ich bin Dr. Herman. The doctor's baritone seemed deep for his size. Why not? <laughs> what should have been a slam dunk question brought nothing to mind. <laughs> I don't know my name, he said. The doctor stiffened. You speak English? I understood your German, but English seems easier. His words flowed so slower than sap. You sound like an American. The doctor's statement bore an undercurrent of mistrust, but the patient had a feeling that the label fit like an old pair of jeans. He shrugged. At least you can speak, Dr. Herman said. That is a good sign. You are a lucky man. Do you know what year it is? He started to shake his head, but movement hurt too much, so he stopped. 1960, said the doctor. You're in East Berlin. The answer surprised him. How the hell did I get here? Most people from the Western sectors take the U-Bahn, the doctor said. I meant, he realized he didn't know what he meant. Sorry, said the doctor. Bad joke. Do you know who shot you? I got shot? Another surprise. In the head, he tapped his bandage. None of this made sense to him. The doctor clasped his hands in front of him and considered his patient. Do you remember where you live? A few bits and pieces came to mind. A narrow concrete block row house, an iron gate, a black door. That was it. Should be some idea in my wallet, he said. The doctor shook his head. You had no wallet when they brought you. He taxed his brain to come up with something, anything. Where's my dog? She had a tag. Nobody mentioned a dog, said the doctor. Well, shit. No papers, no money, no mutt. His head x-ray revealed that the gunman who tried to put a slug in his skull did a half-assed job. But the x-ray was useless as a pronosticator. Dr. Herman had no clue when or if his memory would return, and whether he might suffer potentially lethal brain swelling, a threat that only a seizure would reveal. He was wired to a monitor in case he launched into some kind of crisis, but after a while he must have passed a stability benchmark because the nurse allowed the Volkspolizia cop to come in. Just under six feet, translucent aquamarine eyes, the Vopo removed her gray felt pillbox hat with its metal emblem to reveal red glossy hair cropped short like a cabaret singer from the Weimar years. I'm Leutnant Flesher, said the doc she said. The doctor told me you are American. Her German accent was crisp, like her skirted semi-dress uniform. That's what he tells me too. He was glad she was just a people's police instead of this of a Stasi interrogator, and he had no idea how he knew that that was fortunate. What is your name? She asked sharply. I don't know. Her lips curled into a knowing grin, making her look sexy, even in her somber green-gray uniform with the jade-green necktie. Everyone knows his name, she said. It won't help you make me spend weeks leafing through fingerprint cards to find it. He licked his cracked lips. What makes you think I've got a card? Her gaze ran down his body, a slow perusal. It's written all over your torso. This is not the first time you've been shot. You've been stabbed as well. If you're not in the Volkpolizei files, I am sure the Stasi has you somewhere. The mention of the Stasi rattled him. 
He had no reply. She ran her fingers over her ear like she was brushing back long hair. He wondered if she just recently cropped it, maybe to look more like a man. Despite the party line, he suspected women still struggled for equality in the people's police. After all, she said, it was the Shtaji who brought you here. Any idea how or where they found you? Another surprise, he thought. No, didn't they say? She ignored the question. He assumed the elite secret police hadn't deigned to brief a lowly people's police lieutenant. You have a tattoo that reads Slate, she said. Does that sound familiar? The word meant nothing to him. No. Are you sure, she pressed. Why would I lie? Her reply was blunt, as if she expected her certainty to pry open his secrets. Because you have something to hide. If I do, he said, I don't know what it is. She toyed nervously with the caliber and hammer on her, the insignia of her cap. Unless you are a homosexual with a tattoo of a lover's name, I'm going to assume Slate is your own. Her mention of a lover sparked a faint memory, the backseat of a car, a woman's tongue in his ear, her hand in his crotch. He couldn't picture her face, but he vividly recalled his passion. He was no homosexual. On the other hand, it seemed odd to have a tattoo of his own name. He supposed Slate could be a nickname. At any rate, it was something to latch on to. Where are your papers, she asked. Whoever took my wallet has my papers. A likely possibility. He watched her ice-cold eyes study his face for signs of deception. What do you remember about the person who shot you? His memory was a black void. Nothing, he replied. Fleischer squeezed her brow as if tormented, as if the memory problem were hers, not his. I know you are lying, Slate. I know who you are, she said. Her questions were beginning to irritate him. Well, then maybe you can let me in on the secret. She ticked off her deductions as if reciting a list. You are a beer garden brawler, a provoker of violence, and this time wasn't the first time by the look of your scars, hardly the marks of a paragon of socialism. Slate was surprised that she trotted out the word paragon. She must have had a daily English word calendar taped to her fridge. What's your point, he asked. Skepticism colored her words. This memory loss, I find it a bit too convenient. He struggled to appear patient. It's not for me. Fleischer looked disappointed, as if she'd been expecting Slate to dissolve into tears and confess something. Slate couldn't imagine what. The lieutenant stomped her boot as if she was trying to get an itch on the sole of her foot. The gesture prompted another fragment of memory. I remember boots, said Slate. Black, glossy boots. She prodded him on. And? Was he tall, short, fat, thin? The memory refused to expand. I don't know. A man shot you and all you remember is the shine of his boots? Slate threw a glare so harsh Flesher winced. I was kind of busy bleeding out. Well, Slate spent the night trying to sleep through flushing toilets, clattering bedpans, and a groaning roommate. By morning, he was ready to get the hell out of there. He tried sitting up. It seemed like a good idea while he was lying down, but when he swiveled his legs off the bed, his opinion changed. As he waited for the room to stop swinging, a stout nurse walked in. Look who's sitting up. She spoke in a thick Bavarian accent that stirred a memory of an old woman. Why did this regional accent ring a bell? Was he remembering his mother? The nurse steadied him as he cautiously stood. The room slowed to a gentle sway, but he was still afraid to lift his foot, afraid he'd have trouble replacing it on the floor. The Bavarian helped him shuffle into the bathroom with his IV stand. At 6-1, Slate had to bend down to stare into the mirror. His hazel eyes looked familiar, if slightly dilated. The rest of his face looked like a black forest roadkill. The rough pavement had not been kind. Half his head was covered with a thick plaster bandage augmented with surgical tape. It reeked of sulfur powder. He turned his head, but the makeshift helmet hid any hair he might have. He thought he remembered it being black. He pulled up the sleeve of his worn cotton hospital gown to reveal slate tattooed across his bicep in graceful blue cursive. As the nurse helped him shuffle back to bed, Dr. Herman walked in. How's the patient? Slate eased himself onto the mattress. You tell me. 
Herman pushed his wired rim glasses up his nose, took Slate's chart from a pinewood pocket of the door and leafed through it. You should be well enough to go home in no time. Sounds great, said Slate, if I can remember where it is. Friend or foe? An orderly pushed Slate's wheelchair into a community room. A one-legged man sat in concentration, playing chess by himself. A young woman was slumped on a couch in a drug stupor, her arms spotted like leopard skin from cigarette burns. On the far side of the room, Slate recognized Dr. Cole, the psychiatrist who had done his mental evaluation after his interview with Leutnant Flesher. The trim, silver-haired man wore a thick wool suit and leaned against the windowsill, tapping his foot as if the flight of the bumblebee were playing in his head. Glad to see you again, Herr Slate, he said. Not Herr Slate, just Slate, he corrected. I don't know if it's a first name, last name, nickname, or what. Cole smiled unconvincingly. I see. Slate thought psychiatry was a masturbatory joke, but Dr. Herman had insisted he see Dr. Cole. Eparachics work in mysterious ways. Slate guessed that he needed a shrink to sign off before Dr. Herman could release him, so he decided to play it safe and keep a civil tongue. My job is to help you get to the root of your problems, said Dr. Cole. I already know the root of my problems, said Slate. I got shot in the fucking head. The first words out of his mouth and his inner sensor was already failing him. He wondered if impulse control had been a problem before the shooting or whether this was just another symptom. Well, Dr. Cole spent an hour grilling Slate about the shooting, about his identity, and about his past. Slate remembered the dog, the black boots, the car sex, and a few other things from his childhood, but that was it. Dr. Cole took his leave. He told Slate an orderly would come to collect him shortly to take him back to his room. While Slate waited, a stranger strolled in. He was tall, maybe 6'5", with weathered skin and yellowish-gray coyote eyes. He had a gap between stained front teeth where a toothpick would look right at home. He wore Levi's, a sweat-stained cowboy hat, and snakeskin shit-kicker boots. Slate suspected the man spent more time astride a bar stool than a staddle, and the phrase Dust Bowl Cowboy popped into his mind, origin unknown. Another tidbit for Dr. Cole, should Slate have to see him again. I've been looking for you, said the man. Slate was encouraged that this man seemed to know him, but the cowboy didn't feel familiar. His outfit marked him as a visitor from the western sectors. Do I know you, asked Slate. The man raised an eyebrow. You saying you don't recollect? Slate pegged the twain to Tennessee. Apparently he recognized regional accents in both German and English, but English felt like his native tongue. His thoughts were all in English, and, as far as he could tell, so were his dreams. I don't remember much of anything, he said. The cowboy absorbed this for a moment. How about a cup of java? Slate envisioned the orderly finding him gone. Why not, he said. Name's Rami. The elevator door slid open, and Rami pushed the wheelchair straight in, leaving Slate facing the back. Cargo blankets covered the wall felt like a padded cell. Looks like they was expecting us, say Rami. Slate heard the doors close to confine them, and it struck him that the cowboy could very well be the man who shot him. The cafeteria was fluorescent, cold, and depressing. Soviet-style minimalism at its worst. Dented metal trays, scarred wooden tables, hard chairs, and the smell of canned sauerkraut. Rami parked Slate at a table as far as possible away from the other diners. Coffee's coming up, blonde with sand, said Rami, mimicking words Slate remembered himself saying. Rami smirked as he swaggered off, leaving Slate to wonder how the cowboy knew that how he ordered his coffee. And what else did the stranger know about him? When Rami returned with two mugs, Slate asked, How do you know me? You and me, we used to be tight. Slate couldn't imagine being friends with this man. There was nothing about him that Slate liked. Then who am I, asked Slate. Rami grinned, revealing a gold-capped canine. Not that tight. You call yourself Slate, which sounds about as real as a hooker sob story if you catch my drift. 
but I never heard no last name. Disappointment knocked him down, but he wasn't out. Do you know where I live, he asked. That amigo, I do not the fuck know. We hung out at the same saloon as all. That's cocktail. Rami licked a drip from the side of his mug. How did you find me, Slade asked. The cowboy snickered. A little birdie. The next day was a whirlwind of tests. Dr. Herman showed Slade his x-ray, explaining how the bullet had grazed above his right ear and drilled a trough through his skull just deep enough to skim the surface of his brain, searing a four-centimeter burn across his frontal lobe. By the end of the day, Slate was exhausted from all the prodding. There was nothing but propaganda on the radio, so he amused himself by poking some Marcus excuse for red jello to watch it jiggle. Rami walked in. Remember me? New memories aren't a problem, said Slate. Rami picked up a limp spree-walled pickle chip from Slate's dirty lunch tray. You gotta eat that? He stuck it in his mouth before Slate could answer. Slate waved his belated permission. I asked around Das Cocktail, said Rami. Nobody knows nothing. You're a fucking mystery man. Slate took a moment to digest this. Somebody must know something. Rami flopped into the visitor's chair. I'm taking the fifth till you're out of this slaughterhouse. You got Vopos nosing around here like roaches in a sewer, with you being all doped up. Who knows what you might stay? It's a wonder the Stasi ain't come calling. The Stasi brought me here, said Slate. Rami looked surprised. I wondered how you ended up on the east side of the tracks. He forged for another pickle and slipped it into his mouth. Fucking Stasi, that's all I need. Slate changed the subject. Did I used to walk to Das Cocktail? Maybe I live nearby? You had a Volkswagen and a midget dog, Rami said. That's all I know. You and me, we never got too personal. We was more like associates. He adjusted his hat. Slate saw it as a tell, like in poker, only he didn't know what it signified. So if we weren't tight, why are you here? cowboy took his hat in his hand and studied the inside as if he was looking for tea leaves to read. I am the only friend you got, seems to me. I may be rough grain, but I ain't heartless. And I may have amnesia, but I'm not stupid, said Slate. You came here looking for me. Slate tapped his protective helmet with his index finger. You want something from me. Rami put his hat back on. Just trying to help a pal. Saddle up. Bullshit. Rami flashed a glint of gold tooth. Tell you one thing, my friend. You didn't used to be such a fucking Dowden Thomas. Slate found physical therapy more punishing than healing. You lack stamina, said Dr. Herman. Your physical therapist cannot find any problems that she can trace to your injury, so I'm guessing it's the cigarettes. Slate stopped in his shuffling tracks. I smoke? The doctor knitted his brow. If you don't remember, then this would be a good time to stop. What about releasing my photo to the papers, asked Slate. Someone is bound to recognize me. Slate tapped his helmet. This was getting to be a nervous habit, like tonguing a loose tooth. Dr. Herman frowned. Lloyd not Flesher doesn't want the gunman to know you're alive. He might try to correct his bad aim before she catches him. Slate grunted, seeing the obvious logic, but lamenting the results. Dr. Cole thinks you're ready to go home, continued Dr. Herman. Physically, you're progressing well, assuming you don't get infected. You have no medical reason to keep you here more than another day or two. But I'm concerned that you still suffer amnesia with no place to go and no money that we know of. If you stay here, the expense will be on your head. What's left of it, said Slate. Dr. Herman smiled. Perhaps the Volkspolizist can arrange a place for you to go. The thought of being locked in an East German jail, or worse, a workhouse, with the asocials, gave Slate a shiver. I have a friend in the West, he said. Maybe he'll put me up. The doctor pondered this. You need permission from the lieutenant to leave East Berlin, he said. You are the only one who can identify your attempted murderer. I wish I could, said Slate. That, the doctor said, may be just a matter of time. You will not leave, said Leutnant Flesher. Your case is not closed. Everyone knows Khrushchev won't seal off East Berlin, said Slate. At least not while Eisenhower's still president. 
If you need me, I'll jump on the U-Bahn and be here in 10 minutes, not counting the hour it takes your border guards to check papers. Danke, Herrslay, you are too considerate. Her sarcasm was as close as she come to a joint joke since he met her. And if you do not come, I cannot very well cross the border and drag you back. Slate gave her a deadpan glare. Do you really think you have more interest than I do in finding out who I am and who shot me? She considered. I will check with the Stasi. This jolted Slate's nerves, and he wished he knew why. Freedom. Leutnant Flesher approved your release to the care of your friend, Dr. Herman said the following morning. She gave no explanation. I made it no secret that we were short on beds, but somehow I do not think that was a deciding factor. Four blocks from the hospital to the U-Bahn station seemed endless. Slate felt dizzy on the stairs and Rami had to hold him up as they descended to the bleak platform. Once they were on the train, Slate felt better. The car was almost full, but silent as they rumbled under the city toward the border. When the loudspeaker announced that they were now entering the American sector, a wave of release washed through the passengers. The tension yielded to animated talk and laughter. The train stopped for a border check. An American soldier came through to spot check papers. The GI scowled at the DDR stamp on Slate's dis hospital discharge and asked him to name last year's American League champions. Slate couldn't remember his own name, but he knew the White Sox won the pennant for the first time since the Black Sox scandal in 1919. And he knew they went on to lose to the Dodgers in the World Series, in the first World Series ever played on the West Coast. He marveled at the detail he recalled and wondered if this was a sign of improvement. The soldier welcomed him to West Berlin. The faded couch had more stains than the butcher's smock and smelled even worse. She ain't much, but she's all I got, said Rami. The ragged brown Davenport was a good ten inches shorter than Slate, but he said it was fine. Rami grabbed two beers from the de dented Frigidaire and tossed a can to Slate. Your tab is now open, he said. When you're making some scratch, you'll pay it back including that there Schlitz. He opened his can and then tossed a church key to Slate. Slate sat on the couch and felt it sag along with his spirits. How did he wind up in the clutches of a man who lived in the Shangri-La of beer and chose to drink Schlitz from the PX? The walls of the small one-room bedroom apartment were darkened by years of smoke, smoke and poor ventilation, making the place feel doubly claustrophobic. The only window was blacked out and barred like a prison cell. The bolt on the front door was keyed from both the outside and in. If there were a fire, Slate would be fried. But at least he had a place to live. What else can you tell me, Slate asked. Rami sat down on an old wooden chair that creaked in protest. Das cocktail is what you might call my office, said Rami. You and me, we'd meet at DK, have some beers. Sometimes I need a runner and you need some cash and we'd work something out. Slate took a swig of beer. What kind of runner? Morphine, said Rami. Sometimes a little Moroccan kiff. I'm a dealer? Didn't feel right to Slate. Rami gave Slate a flippant salute. You're a fucking patriot. I know an East German army major happens to be addicted to morphine. This Aussie sends me a Dropbox location. You deliver the dope and bring back classified documents. I sell them to the CIA for a pretty penny, and we both have served our country. Something about trading drugs to a communist for secrets didn't seem right to Slate, yet it felt somehow familiar. I reckon whoever tried to kill you was trying to move in on my action, said Rami. It's bad for business to let that kind of shit slide. That's why I sprang you out of that pinko Klinko in the Soviet sector. Somewhere in that head of yours, you know who shot you. And when you remember that asshole's name, I guarantee I'll make him pay for what he done to me. Hey, Rami. The woman's voice startled Slate. He turned to see her in the doorway to the hall, banding her long, honey-blonde hair into a ponytail. Standing about 5'3", she wore only a white slip, 
short enough to give him an eye full of the garter clips that clipped her nylons near the top of her thighs, but she didn't seem self-conscious. Is this our new roommate, she asked. Fucking A, said Rami. She could stand to lose 15 pounds, but Slate still found her riveting. Was it her sexy lingerie, or was she triggering a memory? Have we met, he asked. She broke into a smoky laugh. Just barely, darling. I've seen you at the DK a few times, but we've never been properly introduced. She spoke with a gentle draw. Charlene, this here is Slate, said Rami. Pleased to meet your acquaintance, said Charlene. Rami's coyote eyes turned on Slate. She tickling your memory? You look like you've seen a ghost. Slate shook his head. I'll go find you a tile, said Charlene. And don't you be leaving the, the toilet seat standing at attention. She turned and walked down the hall. Slate couldn't keep his eyes off of those thighs. You follow that through. You follow through on that, sweet ass, said Rami, and I'll put another hole in your head. Slate wondered if he put the one there in the first place. Slate slept like a drunken dog, but in the morning his back felt like he'd been hauling bricks all night. Charlene insisted they go to the Café Kranzler on the Kudam for coffee and strudel with lots of whipped cream. When they got back to the apartment, Rami retrieved a battered leather briefcase and headed back out. Slate saw a huge bulge beneath his jacket. Armed and concealing, he thought. Yet again, Slate wondered if it was Rami who shot him. But the motion, the notion seemed absurd. If Rami was the shooter, why invite the attention of the Vopos by taking Slate into his home? Charlene went to change out of the sundress she'd worn to breakfast. When she came back, she was wearing a pair of Rami's boxer shorts and one of his flannels. The top three buttons were undone. He's off on his round, she said. He'll be gone most of the day. She looked at the dirty ashtray on the wooden crate that they used as a coffee table and added, that man is such a pig. She leaned over to retrieve the ashtray and her shirt drooped open. Slate stared at her breasts. Whoops, she said without embarrassment. Slate felt a twinge in his crotch, even though he thought about Rami's gun belt. Charlene disappeared in the kitchen to dump the ashtray. When she returned, she'd buttoned a fourth button and put on a short black skirt, making her somewhat less likely to breach public decency laws. Let's get out of this dump. Charlene kickstarted her German Army surplus reconnaissance motorcycle. It was loud. She told Slate her father wired her the money for the DKW bike on her 25th birthday. Slate hopped on behind her and they rode to the Wansee Lakes to take a walk. The sky was clear, the water unruffled. They strolled along the bridge between the two lakes and when a breeze arose, she took his arm and huddled close. He liked the feel of her. She led him along a path by the Klein Wansee through the yews to some steps down to a small neglected incline bordered on three sides by a short right wrought iron fence. He kneeled with her before two headstones. Ever hear of Hendrik von Kleist, she asked. He shook his head as he read the name on the larger stone. 19th century poet, she said. His lover was dying, so he brought her here and he shot her, then shot himself so they could spend eternity together by this lake. Do you think that's romantic? Slate gave her a coy smile. I'm not a big fan of people getting shot. She looked at him for a moment, trying to parse his meaning, then picked a small flower and placed it before the tombstone of the poet's lover. I think it's romantic, she said. She led him back to the path and they walked along the lake. Her silence felt ominous, like a storm cloud about to burst. When she finally spoke, it was almost in a whisper. I lied to you, she said. We have met. She stopped and turned to face him. We've more than met. Her green eyes seemed to peer right into his broken skull as if searching for his memories of her. If they were there, he hadn't found them. Tell me, he said. One night, the Landis Polizzi came through the DK and took Rami in for questioning on some trumped up drug charge. We started talking and you introduced me to a good many shots of rye and we wound up in your car, scorching the back seat. Slate sensed faint dots beginning to connect. I think I have a vague memory.
Well, that's because we did it more than once, she said. Your little dog used to go nuts. I couldn't take you back to Rami's, and you said your landlord didn't allow guests. So your car became our secret love nest. It was getting a lot deeper than just sex. We were falling, we were falling hard for each other. He wondered how it ended, assuming it had. It sounds like something I wish I remembered better. Maybe I can help you. She clasped her hands behind his neck, a nanny pushing a pram down the path tsk-tsk as Charlene stood on her tiptoes and kissed him. He was transfixed. Was this deja vu, or was it just lust? Her soft tongue parted his lips, leaving no doubt it was both. Well, Rami was waiting when they got back. Where the fuck have you been? I took Slate to Von Kleist's grave, said Charlene. Do you expect us to stay cooped up in this luxury palace all day? Rami kept pushing. I expect you to do what I fucking tell you to do. Charlene did not back down. Who the hell do you think you are, giving orders like the high and mighty King of Sheba? If I want to take him to the lake, I'll take him to the damn lake. The man has an open hole in his skull, Charlene. What the hell are you doing putting him on the back of the bike with the fucking diaper for a hat? He's a grown man, Rami. He can make his own decisions. It's okay, Charlene, said Slate, trying to smother her fuse. No, it's not, she said. He thinks I'm just some goddamn piece of ass. You're whatever I fucking tell you to be, said Rami. She slapped him. A red handprint bloomed on his cheek. His expression hardened. I ought to rip your goddamn head off. Hey, said Slate. Let's all just calm. Shut up, said Rami. Or what, big man, Charlene said. You gonna pull out your shiny steel dick and shoot him all over again? Rami backhanded her fast and hard, sending her tumbling across the coffee table. Slate jumped to intervene, but Rami raised a semi-automatic automatic pistol. Don't you fucking move, he said. Slate froze. He recognized the standard-issue Soviet Makarov and wondered if he knew that because he'd been in the army. Charlene was drooling blood. I swear to God, I'll cut your dick off in your sleep. Don't make me hit you again. You won't be getting up, said Rami. Is it true, said Slate? Did you shoot me? Rami smirked. If I wanted you dead, that's what you'd be. Don't go believe in nothing that lying bitch has to say. You wouldn't know the truth if it kicked you in the balls, she said, starting to push herself up. Rami shoved her back down with the snakeskin boot. What would she lie about, said Slate. She'd lie to stir the fucking pot like she always does, said Rami. I'd be a rich man had I a nickel for every damn bar fight she's lit off. She just loves to watch me bleed. That night, Slate tossed for hours, kept awake by the din of his own thoughts. He wondered if there really were women out there who'd pit men against each other for the sport of it. He wondered if it was common practice. He supposed he once understood women more, but now he was at a loss, unable to summon memories of the ones he'd known. He shot awake at the crack of the front door bolt being thrown. He was surprised that he'd fallen asleep. Rami flung open the door to a flood the room with light of the morning gloom. No more fucking day trips, Charlene. Briefcase in hand, Rami stepped outside, kicking the door shut behind him. A moment later, Charlene came into the room, tying her robe. Asshole, she said, sitting on the crate, her pink robe draped just over her knees, just inches from Slate's face. She ran her fingertips gently down his cheek. How you feeling this morning, sugar? Her brief touch made him hunger for more. Do you know what really happened to me, he asked. Some of it, she said. The night before you got shot, you and me were out making honey in your car. Alex came out to dump some trash, heard your dar dog barking, and caught us at it. Alex, he said, getting no help from his banged-up head. Bartender at DK. You gave him 50 Deutschmarks to keep his mouth shut but I'm sure he told Rami anyways because when Rami came home the next day, he had blood all over his shirt. Slate flashed, at his, uh, state, Slate flashed on his own pool of blood. Does he have black boots? He's got lots of boots. She led him into the bedroom. It stank of cigarettes and spilt whiskey. The bed was unmade, the sheets stained by years of night sweats and drunken sex. 
two small closets faced each other across the room, his and hers. Hers was closed, his open, the floor a cramped jumble of dirty clothes and three pair of boots, none of them black. If they got stained with blood, he would have tossed them, she said. He's not stupid. Slate stared at the boots. If he was worried enough to destroy evidence, why would he risk taking me in? And why would he leave me here, alone with you, if he was jealous enough to shoot me? Slate's mind felt like it was on a hamster wheel. You just need to give your brain a rest, she said. He turned to find her lying on the bed, robes splayed wide like angel's wings, transforming the sullied sheets into a field of dreams. A recollection almost arrived, but never quite made it. Come to me, sugar, she said. She grabbed his belt and pulled him closer. Make up for lost time. She unzipped his pants and threaded her fingers through his fly. He was hers. All right, Jack, we're at the deliberation. So there's only two suspects, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I have a list of the order of characters, but like Dr. Herman's not really a suspect. Okay, so it's either the very angry inspector lady who came in and, and questioned him, <laughs> right? Okay, so all the people... No, 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 no let me try. Okay, okay, Let's go, be honest. go, go. Okay, I, I haven't paying that much attention. There's only a few options. Okay. It could have been the bartender. The bartender, Alex. The bartender, Alex, that we've literally heard one sentence of so far. Yep. Could be the bartender. Mm-hmm. It could be a nurse. Um, not a nurse that we've interacted with, just one that might have been in oh, the building. Oh, okay, okay. You know, um, it could be a, a street. Anyway, um, so it could be the angry inspector lady. It could be Romney, mm-hmm. and it could be Christina. Charlene. Charlene. I got close. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so here's what we know. Okay. Um, Slate was shot in the head at close range. Close range, close the range. The Stasi found him and took him to the hospital in... East Berlin. Where he woke up without a memory, his wallet, or ID. Interesting. His body shows evidence of other injuries, including knife wounds. None are reported as being new. So he was shot, but he wasn't otherwise, at this point, beaten. Injured, yeah. But sometime in the past. So he speaks German, but he defaults to English. His accent is American, you know, no specification of range, just generic American. Uh-huh. Uh, Rami finds out that Slate is in the hospital and goes to meet him. He doesn't share how he learned that Slate was in an East German hospital. That is interesting, right? I thought so. Uh, the People's Police authorized Slate's release to Rami, who takes him to West, uh, West Berlin to a one-bedroom flat that he shares with Charlene. Uh, Rami reveals that he sells drugs to East German officers in exchange for secrets that he then sells to the CIA, and Slate occasionally works for him as a runner. Charlene reveals that she and Slate were lovers, but they were careful to hide it from a jealous Rami. Alex caught Charlene and Slate in the back of Slate's car and is presumed to have told Rami, and Charlene states that Rami shot Slate, but Rami denies it. If he had he wouldn't have missed. So one of these people, not some unnamed nurse that we've never met, <laughs> uh, did try to, or did shoot Slate. And if you don't figure out who did it, they may try again. I don't no pressure. No pressure, Jack. If, if, I, if you don't figure it out, <laughs> somebody's going to shoot Slate again. Um, I can't say that I know. Um, Rami feels too obvious. Um, there's no reason at the moment as to why Charlene would do it there's no motive I don't think there's motive for anyone at the moment right that we know of I mean I guess the only motive I can think is that if the um, inspector lady who came and did all the questioning she works for East Berlin so there's a chance that he knew her or she knew him and was pretending not to and she was trying to get information that's why she was very pushy I think there must be something um, maybe that's lost on you and me because, you know, we're not, like, really into history and stuff. Yeah. But if the Stasi police took him to a hospital and then let him be released, like... He clearly wasn't being arrested. Right. But they would just let him go after a gunshot wound to the head? 
Well, I mean, it had been a few days, but the investigation wise, also, they have not tried to contact him in like what the two days that he's been released. I'm just saying that we know about maybe maybe this is just us thinking too much into it. And for the sake of the story, it has to happen. But like if I got shot in the head and then three days later, the hospital would just okay, probably wasn't three days. But like a week later, the hospital was like, all right, well, you can go to some other place that we can't like contact you in because it's owned by a different country. Well, but Slate wanted to go. Remember, like he wanted to go because the hospital sucked. But. Why would they allow him? Why would the government allow him? I think you are going too much in the weeds here. I mean, the hospital wanted him gone All because right. he didn't medically need to be there and they wanted the bed. True. I'm, but, like, they didn't arrest him or anything? They didn't have him? Anyway. No, um, he was not arrested. He wasn't arrested. I'm going to say, I think it's stupid if Rami or if Rami did it. Charlene might have, but Sorry. for reasons I can't figure out. Okay. Um, so I'm actually gonna go with angry constable lady. <laughs> you always you always surprise me. <laughs> you like just made this entire argument about Rami and Charlie, and then you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go with the lieutenant. <laughs> well, they're both stupid choices. Okay, okay. I mean, okay. Maybe okay, I so go. listeners, Rami's in my safety. <laughs> whatever app, whatever app you are listening to, we want to know who you think did it. All right, now it's time for. Come home to daddy. Slate and Charlene lay slick and spent in the dark, fetid room. He felt at peace for the first time since he awakened in the hospital. Charlene blew a perfect smoke ring and then gave him a deep kiss that tasted of Paul Mall. He didn't mind. He wanted to clean the sheets before Rami returned, but she assured him that Rami would never notice as long as they were dry. She sped up the process with her hair dryer. Later, they walked to Cafe Einstein. Coffee, he ordered, blonde with sand. The waitress was mystified. Cream and sugar, Fraulein, said Charlene. They sat side by side, watching an ant drag a sugar crystal across the counter. We talked a lot about running away, she said. Get out of Berlin, just you and me. We could still do it, he said. Charlene shook her head. Rami'd find us. That night we got caught, I told him I was going to leave him. I'm sure that's why he shot you. That's why he'll do it again. She leaned over and whispered in his ear, the warmth of her breath spreading through him. He keeps a spare gun in his nightstand. Slate was watching Charlene slice chicken for schnitzel when Romney came home. I'm starving, he said. Charlene stabbed a piece of raw chicken and held it out to him. He gave her a finger. Give me a goddamn beer. Charlene pulled two beers from the fridge and smacked them onto the dining nook table for Rami and Slate. Another on your tab, said Rami, puncturing his with a church key. Beer sprayed on his shirt. He paid no attention. About time you earned your keep. Think you can drive? He's not ready for runs, said Charlene, leaning against the counter. Rami glanced at Slate. The man can speak for his own self. I can drive, said Slate. See, said Rami. Bullshit, she said. He's just acting big, strutting around, defending his manliness like you all do, leaving any bit of common sense he might have in his tracks. Well, who went and appointed you, dear Abby, said Rami. I'm entitled to my opinion, said Charlene. The hell you are, Rami snapped. The man's got his earnest keep, so shut your fucking yap or I'll shut it for you. Leave her alone, said Slate. Rami turned in mock astonishment. Since when is my bitch any of your goddamn business? Slate slammed his beer can on the table. I don't like to see girls get pushed around. Rami rose so fast his chair flew over. Who gives a shit what you like, you fucking freak? He turned back to Charlene. I'll treat you any way I goddamn want to. To emphasize his point, he sucker punched Charlene. Blood sprayed from her nose, tracing her path across the room before she smashed into the wall. Rami turned back at the loud click of his spare gun being cocked. Slate aimed it at Rami's glittering canine. Everyone froze. You touch her again, and I'll kill you, said Slate. Then to Charlene, you okay? Almost. She spat out a tooth and dragged herself up to lean against the cabinet. I don't know what the hell she told you, said Rami, but she's playing you. Slate eyed the revolver. 
Is this the 38 you shot me with? Rami bristled at the accusation. I wasn't even here the day you was shot. I was in Munich scoring morphine at the army. He lurched forward. Slate fired, realizing too late that Rami wasn't lunging, but falling. The slug missed Rami, but he still dropped like a dead weight. The chef's knight in his back must have pierced his heart. Charlene's hand glistened with Rami's blood as she gapped at her handiwork. Slate stood immobile, the sound of a shot having blasted shards of memory through his mind like multicolored shrapnel. Yellow flash, powder blue sky, crimson pool, black boots, brindle dog. Charlene was trembling so hard she couldn't stand. She crumbled to the floor, wrapped her arms around her shoulders, and proceeded to rock back and forth. What do we do, she asked. Slate knelt, Slate knelt to check Rami's pulse, but they both knew he was dead. Call the Vopos, he said. Her eyes widened. Are you crazy? Slate stood to face her. If we don't, there's no chance they'll believe us. Either way, there'll be someone here soon. Someone must have heard that shot. Charlene stilt. What are we going to say? It was self-defense, said Slate. He beat you. I grabbed the gun to make him stop. When I missed, you stabbed him. That's all we remember. It, it happened so fast. For a moment, she closed her eyes as if to foresee the police on the backs of her eyelids. You make it sound so easy, but you're not the one who killed them, are you? He eyed the revolver. Go get a towel, he said, and she left the room. Charlene returned with the towel. Put it over his head, said Slate. I don't want to look at him. She didn't seem happy about approaching the body, but she did as he asked. Slate headed down the hall toward the bedroom. He was in Charlene's closet when she came in. He held up a pair of black patent leather boots. I remember my little dog standing next to these boots. They were no bigger than she was. Too small for Rami, but not for you. Charlene blanched and ran out, and he followed her into the kitchen. She raised a revolver. I really did love you. Slate raised his hands. But you shot me anyway. Charlene nodded. I was afraid you'd take me down with Rami. Take her down. What do you mean? That night behind DK, she said. While you were paying Alex off, I had to fix my smeared makeup before we went back inside. I dropped my lipstick on the floor and it rolled under the seat of your car. While I was fishing around for it, I found your Polizzi ID pin. It took him a minute to fathom her meaning. The answer seemed absurd. I'm a cop? Slate, her eyes locked on his. You're Stasi. His stomach pitted at the thought of being secret police. That's why they took you to East Berlin for treatment, she said. Your comrades found you first. He shook his head. If I'm Stasi, they have my fingerprints on file. Sure they do, said Charlene, but they never tell that to some lowly Vopo that blow your cover. But I'm American, said Slate. So were the Rosenbergs. Slate didn't buy it. If he was a Stasi agent, he'd know it, wouldn't he? Yet it made sense that if the Stasi was trying to identify an East German army officer who was trading state secrets for drugs, they'd start with the traitor's drug connection. And that would explain Slate's relationship with a scumbag like Rami. I was in love with you, said Charlene, and you were lying to my face. Twin tears stripped her cheeks. She cocked the revolver. The sound triggered his memory of being shot and of loving the woman who shot him. I remember loving you, he said. Charlene's gun hand trembled. You remember because we had something rare. We still do, he said. Didn't you feel it this morning when we made love? She considered for a moment, then lowered the gun. Maybe we could start over, she said, reaching out to Trace's cheek. We used to talk about running away to Paris, the States, anywhere. He kissed her, tasting salty tears on her lips. I do still love you, he said. Charlene searched his eyes. But how could you ever trust me again? He held her gaze. I want to try. She raised the gun. I'm so sorry, she said, and pulled the trigger. No sound. No nothing. I'm sorry, too, he said. He opened his hands and, one by one, let the bullets fall to the floor. Polizzi! Off, Mosh! Police were pounding on the door. Her face sagged with gloom, her eyes begging for mercy. He said, I'd be a fool to give you another shot. The end.
Did he call the police? Or is that just coincidence? Well, he this was right after that they shot. Right, right after the gunshot. So, so they would have showed up on their own. So he didn't call them. Well, after finding out he was a cop and then the cops showing up, it's like, whoa, did he secretly remember? Oh, right. But no, no, no. He didn't. because that would be that would be cheating. That'd be right? cheating. The author's name is Paul. Craig, right? Craig, Craig, Craig. That Sorry, would be Paul's, cheating. Craig. Paul's one of the other ones. Yeah. Craig. But Craig did not cheat. Craig did not cheat. You did not pull an Agatha Christie. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> well, that would have pissed me off. I watched one of the I watched that new Glass Onion movie. Yeah, don't say anything. I won't say anything. But halfway through, it just annoys me. Okay. Because it's like you're trying to figure stuff out. And then it's like, oh, do you want the answer? Anyway. Okay. Well, so like, what do you think of this one? <clears throat> it's it's different. I mean, it's a Cold War era story. Different than anything we've done before. Yeah. I I mean, just the place they were staying was so, like, depressing. <laughs> <laughs> just listening to the description of that was like, yeah, that sounds like East can, Berlin. Can you see it done on, on like, a stage and what the, what the scenery would look like? <laughs> I don't know about that, but, yeah, I mean... Not to mention just the place that they had sex on. That was gross. It was gross. That was <laughs> gross. <laughs> but, yep, Charlene did it. She found his police ID and uh, she tried to kill him, but she wasn't very good at it. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, geez, Charlene. Geez, oh. Geronimo. I couldn't remember her name halfway through, so I started giving her random names. Did you? Yeah, Christina. That's from uh, The Other Guys, I think. Oh, oh. Yeah, anyway. this one. This one, I really thought it was kind of a. As far as who did it, I know you picked the lieutenant. It was not the lieutenant. Well, uh, believe me, the second you started talking, I was like, "It's not. It's not the lieutenant." Obviously, it was one of those ones that I think more or less you could, if you believed Rami was telling the truth, then it wasn't him, and that only left Charlene. Yeah, you're right. We didn't have her motive because he didn't remember it. He didn't know that she found the ID anyway. Yeah. Um, but there really was no evidence. Yeah. You don't learn about all the crap that she did and the, the fact that he might be police. Like, you'd never guess that he was police. He didn't guess he was police. And there's no evidence early on. Like, there, I don't, at least I don't remember there being a hint or anything from the lieutenant lady saying you really, because she was very angry. But rereading it, it might sound more like a, I don't know. She didn't give a hint as to know him. And if that had been there, then that might have been a clue. But M without that. Maybe the clue was that they let him leave the hospital. Maybe. But still, they knew that he didn't remember anything. So he basically, he wasn't a police officer in that moment. Yeah, you're right. They were taking a risk letting him go. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it would be a pretty awesome cover. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm surprised, like... Chris, Charlene. Charlene. Charlene didn't freak out when she saw him. Right. She didn't know that he lost his memory, did she? Well, Rami Maybe had gone did. back and forth okay. a couple times, so I'm sure he told her that All he right. found him. That would make more sense, but she... Rami didn't seem to act like he knew that the two of them knew each other. So I don't know if that means Alex didn't rat him out. Probably not. It probably means that Alex did not rat him out. Seems like it. So it was a good one. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty difficult. Definitely, I mean, definitely had a different pace, and I apologize to everybody who speaks German. What those two? Did you say the sentences? I thought you just gave I up had, and skipped it at one point. I, I skipped like, one of them <laughs> because I just I I forgot to write it out phonetically, and I just had no idea what it said. Well, and if I was you want like, to know what it says <laughs> in June, it's June, right? We have our our book of this coming out, right? Uh, the the companion. book the book will come out July? on March twenty first. March. I'm not going to guess that. So if you want to know what he that they say in German, <laughs> German go read ahead the book. and get the book, man. <laughs> So you want to know a little bit about Craig? Of course I want to know about Craig. So Craig Faustus Buck has been a journalist, a nonfiction book author, and a TV writer-producer. He currently writes short stories, crime novels, and feature films. His noir novel, Go Down Hard, and his short stories have been nominated and won multiple awards. Of his six nonfiction books... Two were number one New York Times bestsellers. One was pop psychology and, and the other was pop gynecology. 
That sounds fascinating. His short film, Overnight Sensation, was nominated for Academy Award. That is very cool, too. Congratulations. He was one of the writers on V, The Final Battle, the most-watched science fiction event in television history, and wrote the famous episode where the Incredible Hulk dropped acid. Back in Los Angeles, he is an active member of Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, Writers Guild of America, International Thriller Writers, and Barbecue Brethren. Find him at craigfaustusbuck.com. That's F-A-U-S-T-U-S, craigfaustusbuck.com. The link is in the show notes. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast, for links to this season's authors and their stories. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Scorch in the Back Seat was written by Craig Faustus Buck. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. All right, Jack, give us something to remember. <laughs>